0: As we turn our attention to God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with joy-filled reverence and sober humility. The summons of the word found in the bulletin prepares our hearts and minds to do that. Let's read it together. If you call out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Thank you, Sherry. Let's, um, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, I ask especially this morning that you would give me a heart of humility, a heart of gentleness, a heart of urgency, a heart of hope. Father, I pray that that you would do what only you can do, to give us ears that hear. Oh, Father, how good I am at hearing only what I want to hear. How good I am at treating truth like a smorgasbord, a buffet that I pick and choose the parts I like. Father, how, how slow I am to grow, to receive, how convinced I am that I am right. Father, how good I am at minimizing my own problems, my own issues. Father, how good I am at focusing on the speck of dust in my brother or sister's eye and ignoring the log in my, my own eye. Oh, Father, I pray that you would send your spirit to conform us to the likeness of your son, Jesus, that we might know his welcome, that we might know his wisdom, that we might know his peace, that we might know the freedom with which he lived his life. That's what we long for, Father. Freedom, Father, from our sin, freedom from our shame, our guilt, freedom from the opinions of men, freedom from anxiety and worry, freedom from regret. Oh, Father, please, uh, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So, Father, through the power of your word this morning, I pray that you would be at work in our midst, in us and through us, equipping us to um, to be your children, to be who you say we are. We pray in Jesus' mighty and merciful name. Amen. Before we jump in, just go ahead and uh, grab that 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 your order of worship, your bulletin, and what we just read together uh, with Sherry's leading. Go ahead and read that to yourself. And uh, and just take a, maybe 30 seconds, a minute, and just um, make that your own. Uh, read those words from Proverbs and make them your own. And, and, and uh, maybe you need to call out to the Lord. Before we jump in, um, <clears throat> during the sermon, I'm actually going to be asking you to do something and we're going to have an immediate application, not an application for later today or later this week. an immediate application, the application will be, I will ask everyone to stand up and go sit with someone who's not related to you. So if you've got kids, one, one spouse, you either divide the kids up or have one of the kids go with, maybe dad, you take the kids or whatever, but literally I'm going to ask you to stand up and go sit somewhere else with someone who is not your spouse, and not, again, if it's, a, if it's a little kid, fine, but if it's a teenager or older, go sit somewhere else by yourself, just wherever, just, just someplace. That all happens during the sermon, so get ready, be, you know, be ready for this, you can be in shock, like, wah, wah. all right, all right, so if you're, it's okay, sit with someone else, a friend, I don't care who it is, and if you're visiting, you can just stay, remain where you are, just, just watch, or watch the mayhem, watch, the, you know, uh, watch the looks on people's faces, I can't believe he's actually asking me to do something. Um, let me ask this question, so uh, if you're visiting, we're finishing a series on Romans 12 through 15. The series is called Remembering the Body, with a, with a double meaning to the word remember, to everything about the last few years with COVID, with um, elections, with protests, with all manner of things that are going on, with, every, with the politicization of everything, we have seen our, our, our culture just be so, become so polarized. And even before the pandemic, there was a pandemic of loneliness. And more and more, we just have become so distant from one another. And so it's it's through this this section of Romans 12 through 15, where Paul is exhorting the people of God to be the people of God. He's exhorting the family of God to be the family of God. He's calling them to, to recognize themselves as members, as fundamental members of one body to see ourselves as in need and fundamental need of one another. And so let me ask you, listen, this is not for you visitors, this is for those of you who've attended regularly. Let me ask you this question. How has Romans 12 through 15 changed your view of the church? How has it changed your view of the church? How have these chapters challenged you? What changes have you made? I mean, there's so many exhortations, right? There's I mean, so many counter oh, countercultural counter-cultural calls to live in community differently. How have these, cha- these chapters challenged you? What, what changes have you made? Or even looking forward this summer, how will Romans 12 through 15 imp- impact your schedule This summer, how will you do summer of 2022 differently based on Romans 12 through 15? In fact, how might it change your budget this coming summer? The way we're going to think about how we spend our money this summer is going to be different because of Romans 12 through 15. It's going to be different because of the vision of the people of God found in these chapters. It's made such an impact in my life over the last weeks that it's going to change how I think about how I do hospitality, how I do my budget. And it might lead us to ask a further question. How well am I really listening to God's word every Sunday? I mean, if you've listened to these, these sermons week in and week out, if you've listened to Paul's words and nothing has changed. Nothing has changed in your schedule, in your relationships, in how you think about the people of God. Isn't that kind of scary? Listen, you can sit in a church week in and week out and hear God's word, and nothing can happen. It's one of the most amazing things about being a minister, when preaching and teaching of God's word, that you can say the exact same thing and it will change someone's life. It'll just blow them away. It'll lead to conviction of sin. It'll comfort them in their sorrow. And the person sitting next to them just bounces off. And it's nothing, I don't get the credit or I don't get the blame, either way, I'm just, Explaining God's way as best I can, God's word as best I can. But it's a remarkable thing, and it's a scary thing how we can walk out that door and nothing, nothing has changed. And maybe that's partly on on me, I don't know. But this this vision of the church that Paul sets before us in Romans 12 through 15 is so countercultural. It's so counterintuitive. It cuts against the grain. You're not going to hear anything that Paul is saying on social media. You're not going to hear it, certainly not going to hear it, on the news media. No one in this world is reinforcing the message that Paul is giving here. And what's so amazing, what I want you to see, that I just, this is just, you know, we, we come here on a Sunday morning, and it may seem humble. There aren't that many of us. I mean, look at that parking lot. I mean, look at the, the facilities. Man, it's just, it's just, you know, not that much. Well, you know what? The, the churches to whom Paul was writing in Rome were far less impressive. There were fewer of them. There were house churches. They were mostly, you know, lower status persons. I mean, it, just, it was a very unimpressive group. And here we are, 2,000 years later. You know, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I, there are times when I'm traveling and people, you know, you're sitting, I say you're on the, a plane, um, and you just tr- strike up a conversation with the person next to you. And, and it usually begins with like, hey, how are you doing, what's going on? And start talking about where are you traveling? What, what are you gonna be doing in Chicago, blah, blah, blah. Oh, then you find out, well, what do you do for a living? And then inevitably somebody asks me what I do for a living. And this is the, this is the answer that I, I've been tempted to give before, so they can understand what I do. Are you ready? I work for a faith-based nonprofit that helps addicts, orphans, the elderly, the infirm, the sick, and the dying, the poor, foreigners, minorities, and refugees. We help hurting marriages, troubled teens, the bereaved, providing counseling and mentorship to relationships to all ages. We've started hospitals throughout the world, and, start pretty much, have, and have started pretty much every university in the world. In the Western Hemisphere, we've been the single greatest benefactor and advocate for the visual and performing arts as well as for architecture. We led the causes to to end the transatlantic slave trade as well as slavery and segregation in the American South. We have locations in almost every country in the world, and yet we have no central office. We recently celebrated our two thousandth year. What are we called? The church. And it's all because of embracing a community that Paul is talking about in Romans. Are you with me? It's about embracing a counter, very counterintuitive thing, called grace. So this morning I'm going to ask you again, and and maybe it's just maybe it's just you coming sitting down the next couple weeks or just rereading Romans 12 through 15 praying it it's so easy to pray i mean it's just so easy to pray father thank you so much for your mercy i want to offer my body as a living sacrifice to you holy and pleasing to god i don't want to be conformed anymore by the pattern of this world but i want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind so that i can discern what your will is actually come to see your will is holy beautiful and perfect i don't want to think of myself more highly than i thought but let me help me to think of myself with sober judgment and according to the grace that I've been given. Right? I, I, I want my love to be sincere. I want to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. I want to be devoted to, one to my brothers and sisters and brotherly love. I want to be zealous. Keeping my spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. I want to weep with those who weep and, and, and rejoice with those who rejoice. You just go on, it's just a beautiful prayer. And it's all right there. It's right out there laid in front of you. And you can wrestle with these things. You know what? We Rejoice with those who rejoice. I don't like to do that. I see other people do well, and you know what? I'm jealous of them. Father, forgive me for being jealous when other people do well. Forgive me for rejoicing silently when they blow it, when they fail. See, it's just, it's not that hard. I mean, and some of it becomes compelling. Like, wow, you know, like... Um, um, do not, be dis- do not be conceited. In other words, like, when you see people around you who are like, you know, just, just the janitor at work or someone at school is all by themselves sitting at the lunch table. Think, oh, wait, I'm going to go sit down next to them and begin to live life in this very counterintuitive way and see what happens and it becomes beautiful. So let me ask you again, how has Romans 12 through 15 changed your view of the church? How these chapters challenged you? And what changes do you need to make? How will these chapters influence or impact your summer schedule, your budget? And let me be so brazen. This probably sounds arrogant. Let me ask you, do you need to listen to this sermon series again? It's on podcasts. It's online. When a commute, wherever, just listen to it again. One of the most dangerous things to do is listen to sermons again and again and again. It will grow you. Like you've never, not, it doesn't even be my sermons. Go find someone, go find your favorite preacher's sermons and listen to them again and again and again. You'd be amazed how much you pick up the second, third, fourth. Oh, I, did, I forgot he said that. Oh, I didn't hear it the first time. because there's, there's a lot going on. So with that, let's take a very quick overview of Romans 12 through 15. Hopefully you'll recognize some of these things. Help me hear them again because that's how God's Word works, gang. Listen. The things that Paul is saying, again, Let me, I use these words all the time, I know, countercultural, counterintuitive. And so you can't just hear it once and go, oh, I got it. You can't just hear it twice and go, oh, I got it. I mean, I don't, can't tell you how many times I have to hear things from God's word, and I still have to hear them. It's amazing. There are things that I have to hear. In fact, I, 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 I um, meditate on certain things daily because they're so counterintuitive to me. You could say them to me once every hour and be like, oh, Really? Oh, that's right, I forgot. Because they're so counterintuitive to the way I think about, uh, about myself, about God, about the world around me. So with that, if you've got it, it's on page 5, uh, sorry, page 975, if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible. Again, it's Romans chapter 12, page 975. And it's very simple. He, Paul begins, he roots everything in God's welcome. The, what I'm going to call God's welcome. That is God's mercy. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. And for Paul, God's mercy, his welcome was everything. Because Paul was the least deserving to be welcomed. If you know the story of Paul, he was the guy who was against everything that Jesus stood for. And so for Paul to be welcomed by Christ, to be, to be embraced, to receive that mercy, just blew his mind. In Ephesians, he refers to himself as the chief of sinners or as the, the less, uh, less than the least of all God's people. Isn't that a great line? Less than the least of all God's people. He, he was so unbelievably convinced of his own sin and how undeserving he was of God's mercy that it just it rocked his world. And if you've ever come across persons whose lives are just just, just, just ooze this sort of humility, this sort of this deep sense that they have they have rebelled against God and that they have deeply, deeply hurt people. But I was just talking to my neighbor last night, and she asked me, "So, well, what is real? Like, what is real confession?" This is an amazing question. I have these, these neighbors, and they're, they're wonderful people, Jen and Jerry. They, they're, they're, uh, they're I would say they're, they're they would say they're Catholic. Uh, they don't attend regularly. They, they just kind of do their thing, and but whenever I go over there, they often invite me over for a fire pit, and we have a beer together or something. They, they sit down, and, and the theological questions just start coming at me, and it's just absolutely it's just hilarious. And so we started asking about contrition. What does it mean? Last night, I said, well, one of the things about contrition, true contrition, is that you recognize how much you have hurt other people. You you survey the damage, and it's just you think, I cannot believe I said that. I cannot believe I did that. You, you, you finally, you at last get how much your sin impacts other people. And for Paul, he, he got it. I mean, he saw the carnage. I mean, he was a murderer. I mean, he was a persecutor, and he recognized that and he, he, he lives his life in view of the welcome that he has received. And so it begins, it's rooted in his welcome. His welcome, then Paul says in the rest of verse 1, it means that we as Christians are all about two things. First, worship. His welcome means we're all about his worship. It's a complete an exclusive worship. We offer our bodies as living sacrifice. It's a public worship. That word body means that it's public. It goes, it goes alive. People can see it. It's exemplified the other day. My daughter, my, 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 my daughter Rosemary and I went out for dinner together. We're hanging out. She told me about how her friends got into this discussion about death and how how they're scared about. It. They're terrified of dying. And Sarah and Rosemary, in this wonderful, um, my Rosemary has this wonderful countenance about her. Which I can talk about her because she's not here. She's in the nursery. Um, has this wonderful countenance where she just said, "Well, no, I'm I'm not really scared of death." And she said in this very convincing, just, just matter of fact sort of way, and, and her friends were like, "What? Like, what? Do you, how is that even possible?" And she just went on to explain her faith. This is what, unashamed. Hey, this is this is. I mean, she just it is "What it is." I'm die. I mean, it's like falling asleep and I wake up, and I'm gonna see Jesus. I mean, what could be better? I mean, then I get a new. I'll get my body back, and I'm new heavens and new earth. I mean, what's there? What's there to be scared about? It's a public faith. His his welcome means we're all about his worship, a complete and exclusive public worship. That's the first thing. The second thing is that his welcome means that we're all about his wisdom. Look in verse 2. I love what he says here. But do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't be a worldly sheep. Don't just sit there and listen to Oprah, listen to Dr. Phil, listen to the news media, the social media. I can't tell you how many parents I run into, ah, man, who are parenting using advice from social media. Really? That's what you want to do. You know, all it's tweeted here, so I might get better on TikTok, so it must, right? I mean, it's just like, wow, like, are you... Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but what? What does he say? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's this wisdom that has to happen, that his welcome calls us to worship him and to pursue a wisdom that is absolutely 100% countercultural, 100% counterintuitive. And you need that wisdom. Why? What does the rest of the verse say? When, you, when your mind has been renewed, the key word is Then. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's this notion that when I seek to, when I seek out that wisdom, when I say, Listen, I am not going to pursue the way of the world, I'm not going to pursue the way of my own my own heart. I'm not going to listen to the voices around me or within me, but to the word of God, what begins to happen is that his will becomes beautiful. It becomes better. It's not just tolerable. It's not, well, there's the fine print. I guess a better do all this stuff here in Romans 12 through 15, because that's, you know, that's the catch. You know, he forgave me, and now I've got to do this stuff. No, Paul says, you know, if, you, if you renew your mind, if you actually engage actively, proactively, in, 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 in growing and in seeking to understand why his will is what it is, you will come to a place that finds it beautiful. And, that's exa- and that will, that wisdom, is the rest of 12, 13, 14, and 15. So his welcome means that we're all about his worship and the pursuit of his wisdom. And why is that? And Let me give you an example of that wisdom. Um, the, the world today, especially, and this is very different from Paul's world, but the Western culture today says that, that to be conformed to the pattern of this world, to live like other people are living, would be to simply follow your feelings, to follow whatever feels right in the moment. And, uh, I can just give you an example, for example, I'll just give you one. But I can think of a, a conversation that I had with a, um, a young man, well, it's a man about my age, uh, late 30s, early 40s, who had lived sort of the, the bachelor's life. I mean, he had lived it up, he had, you know, I just went from girl to girl to girl, partying, etc. He was a good looking guy, fit, had a great job, plenty of money. And, uh, and he told me, he said, you know, after so many years of doing this, I realize, one, that I'm incredibly lonely. And he said, two, I realize I've been doing this for so long that I don't think I could ever be faithful. Because this is what I do. Because the whole notion of self control, of saying no to self, was so absent from his life for 20 years. That they then no, know he's like being honest. I don't know that I could do that. And so this very counter, the, the wisdom of the world that says, self-control, what's that? Which again, by the way, in Paul's day, that was not the case. I mean, the Ro- ancient Roman philosophy was often very, all about autokreia, self-control. It's all about how do I get myself under control? <laughs> right? How do I stop eating? How do I stop fearing? How do I stop, you, know, you name, fill in the blank. They understood, and, and, and the early Christians were right there with them saying, yeah, that's right. Wisdom isn't simply letting it rip, letting it go. Wisdom actually calls us to a constraint that actually frees us so that we're not lonely and that we can be faithful because we've chastened, we've, we've struggled to, 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 to get our fears and our passions under control. So it seeks so his welcome calls us to a worship and a wisdom that is very counter and counterintuitive, a wisdom that looks like that looks as follows. First, it's a wisdom that humbly leverages our gifts. Look at look in verses three through eight. Verses three through eight. Here in this context, he talks about leveraging our gifts for the sake of the body of Christ. And he talks about doing it humbly. For by the grace given me I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given to each of you. And he speaks of how each of us, we are members, for just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Isn't that beautiful? We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. Right? In accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. And he goes on to speak this notion that whatever your gift may be, leverage it for the people of God. That's not rocket science, but it requires us to say, you know what? Here are the gifts that I have. Now I'm going to give it to this local, tiny, little church in South County. It's a powerful thing. My, my uh, older brother pastors a church back in Montana and uh, they, they don't own the building that they worship in. It's a school. And uh, so they have to have a setup team, right? Every, every single Sunday, people come in, and they, they set up the stuff, put the sign out in front, etc., etc. And one of the guys, um, I should know his first name, I don't know, his last name is Danes. Now you've probably never heard of Danes. Or is it, is it, what's his first name? Danes. Is it Tom? Or was Steve. Steve, Steve Danes. Well, Steve happens to be a U.S. Senator. He's one of the two senators in the state of Montana, and he's on the setup team. Every flies back from, from DC on what Thursday or Friday. You know how exhausted he would be, how busy he is of his schedule. And guess what? He shows up for the setup team. Now that's, now, now think about that. You drive in, and chances are you'd probably recognize Senator Danes out putting this, putting the, the sign up or whatever, he does child care. He also does he's on the welcome, the the, the welcome desk, it's a larger church. When you decide to give yourself your gifts to the local church, and you really just, I mean, listen, I'm paid to do this. You're not. And when you show up and you give yourself to the child care, and you show up early and you do it really well, and you show up and you give yourself to some aspect of this church, you show up and say, you know what? I just want to invest in the women in this church. I'm going to set aside some money and I'm going to take them to Lunch. No agenda. Not trying to do something. I'm just gonna like just love them, care for them, pray for them. Whatever it may be, or you know what? Uh, I, I, I loved how Jim prayed for the children of our church. Wasn't that beautiful? You think you know what? I see these. I see kids hanging out here on the couch. afterward. I'm gonna go talk to them. I'm gonna make it my goal to regularly, whoever it is, I'm gonna go talk to one teenager every Sunday. And it's gonna be awkward. It's gonna be weird. You know, whatever. Just do it. When we give ourselves, when we leverage our gifts, it makes a big impact. So on the one hand, you've got Senator Daines. On the other hand, you've got Harrison, my son, who's two. How many of you have had Harrison come greet you? Raise your hand. Yeah, I see a number of hands, right? I mean, just literally, hi! Hi! I mean, he should be a Walmart greeter. We're at Walmart, and he sits there, like, hi! 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 I mean, is that, how much money does he have in his account? None. How, what's his education level? None. <laughs> Right? He's making an impact. He's using his own... The thing that he knows how to do, he knows like eight words and one of them's high. He knows how to hug. There you go. He's using the gifts that God has given. We leverage our gifts. The second thing we're called to do is to live in grace. Verses 9 through 16. First, leverage our gifts. Second, live in grace. 9 through 16 speaks of investing, all of us investing in a way... That is that has no regard for what I said at the very beginning of the service. No regard for family. No regard for ability. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in, it should say, brotherly love. It's a fraternal love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual serving the Lord. He goes on, um, Share with, verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. One of my best friends is a professor of classes at Classics at Duke. He went to Bowdoin uh, College in Maine, I think it is. And he talks about, you ask him, who had the biggest impact on you during your college experience? You think, oh, I was going to be a professor, or oh, I was going to be the pastor of the church you went or whatever. He says, no. It was this man, a widower, who was a florist in town, had a high school education, and he would invite Jed. And a bunch of college kids and just really whoever wanted to come, he'd invite them over to his house for lunch after church every Sunday. They'd have discussions. He would serve them. He would make food for them. He was a widder, old old, old fellow. And he just loved to open his home. He loved to share his flowers. And he said, those conversations, and that, and it's, and then here's the beauty. This is what I want you to see. He's like, Jed was like, why would he do that? I mean, who am I? Not as not my a, not a family not related to family member. There's no ability that somehow he's going to. He didn't need me to write a paper for him. There was no. There was. There was nothing. There was nothing that he was going to like somehow get out of. Why, why? Why are you showing interest in me? Why are you caring about me for? Who am I to you? That's grace. Let me ask you right now: Are you engaged in relationships where the other person might go? What? Why why are you why are you doing this? Why do you care about me? Why do you care about my future? So, his welcome means that we're all about worship and wisdom, a wisdom that leverages our gifts that lives in grace to others. And by the way, I mentioned here hospitality, but Paul goes on later in these verses to talk about reconciliation. Let me just mention that very briefly in chapter and verse uh, t- uh, verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse um, um, where does he say it? Verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And since Don Kinnis is not here, I can mention this as an illustration. Uh, Don was, and he shared this publicly from, from here, so I'm not sharing anything that, that hasn't already been made public. But if you remember, Don was uh, basically alienated from his daughter, Karen. And I can remember he you and know, I took getting together and talking and saying, well, Don, what if you wrote a letter to Karen, your daughter? It's just apologizing, for asking forgiveness, naming the things, the ways that you failed as a dad, and just asking for forgiveness. It would be pleasing to the Lord, be an act of faithfulness on your part as a father. And who knows what the result will be? Well, most of you, I think, know what the result was. I mean, Karen, was, his daughter, was overcome it just, she was just so taken back. And was so thankful. It was like, Dad. She called him, Dad. And there, there was this beautiful moment of reconciliation. And they now see each other regularly. They interact together. Holidays. They talk on the phone. That's that's grace. It's owning what I need to own. It's it's being willing to engage in relationships where I actually am the the, the wrong. I'm, I'm the party in the wrong. To seek that sort of reconciliation—that's living in grace. So, first, leveraging our gifts. Second, living in grace. Third, leaving justice to God. Oh, I missed it. Actually, I'm sorry. Living in grace, hospitality, reconciliation, and family. Living like a family. Let's stand up real quick, and let's let walk around. And find find some place to sit. Maybe you stay. Maybe one spouse stays where they are, and someone goes and sits somewhere else. Wherever maybe. Go for it, real quick. Come on. It won't take long. Mm, I know it's shocking Stretch those legs There we go. All right, I love it. This is great All right, this is great Good, good, good. See? So I remember at the beginning of the sermon at the beginning of the service where I say human flourishing is often thought as all about family, biological family, or it's all about ability, like meritocracy, that's what America is. But the church is not about family or ability, it's about mercy. It's about grace. Okay, it's about being this community. And listen, I just want to encourage you, man, future Sundays come in just, as a spouse. Listen, you see your spouse all week long. All right? I mean, if you guys need time together during the service, like, you need, I mean, there's something wrong. You need counseling. I've, I haven't seen you all week. You know what I mean? No, no. I mean, like, so just, just agree. Walk on and say, hey, let's go sit. So we'll, we'll see each other after the service. Okay? And you just go sit somewhere else. What is it like when you sit next? Sit down next to someone? Hey, do you mind if I sit with you this Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. yeah, sit down. That's great. We have widows in this church. We have widowers in this church. We have singles in this church. And this is your way, a tangible, concrete way of saying, you know what? We're family. I'm going to sit next to you. Let's hang out. Let's talk. And after the service, you just start talking and connecting and ask about what, what are their prayer needs, what, what's going on in their life, what, 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 what's, what, are their, what are victories and defeats, whatever it may be. We're almost done here. So his welcome means we're all about his worship and his wisdom, a wisdom that calls us to leverage our gifts, it calls us to live in grace, and then it calls us to, to, to leave justice to God, to leave justice to God. Look at verse 17 of chapter 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Got that? Do not repay anyone, I don't care what they've done, who they are, what, 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 what race, what ethnicity, what age, whatever they've done to you, you cannot, you must not repay anyone evil for evil. And he goes on in verse 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but what? Leave room for God's wrath. We're leaving justice to God. Leave justice to God, leave room for God's wrath, verse uh, uh, continuing in verse 19 for it is written it is mine to avenge this is God talking it is mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord on the contrary if your enemy is hungry wow feed him isn't that crazy if he's thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head I can think of um, a, a woman that, whom we came to know as our Florida mom uh, we got to know her at our church in Florida um, th- around the time we got to know her, she discovered that her husband was having an affair. And everyone, he was a very wealthy man. And every, all her friends, everyone said to her, this is your moment. Divorce him for everything he's worth. Show him that he made the biggest mistake in the world. I mean, just take him down hard. And she didn't. She decided, and she could have biblically, she could have gotten nothing wrong. She could have gotten a divorce. That would not have been wrong. But she decided that actually she would stay. And that she would love him. And show him mercy. And she and her husband were very well known in the community. And what she did just was a jaw dropper to so many people. Could not believe in fact, and what I she and they stayed they stayed together for a little while longer, and then he just couldn't figure her out because he I don't you, you said "You've become religious, you're like a religious Bible freak, I don't get you." and he divorced her. But she left justice to God, leaving justice to God and then also to the government. That's what verses thirteen the, into the chapter thirteen, the verse seven verses, it's all about listen. You leave justice to God, but also you leave justice to the governing authorities. And then he goes on in the rest of chapter 13. It's, so it's, it's leveraging our gifts, living in grace, leaving justice to God and to the government, and then loving one another, giving, given the coming dawn. And he speaks of our obligation uh, in verse uh, 8 of chapter 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And he says, verse 11, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. That is classic first century uh, Christian ethics. It's like, this is, the, this is where the world is going. The, the, Christ is, ish, has, has begun a new order, and therefore we are to live lives of love. Loving one another given the coming dawn, especially verse chapter 14 into 15, especially with those who disagree with us. You know, it's one of the most powerful things about the Christian church is that we are to understand what's important, what's central, and on the things that are disagreeable, the things that are disputable, we love one another. We pursue one another. Hey, you and I disagree about worship music. Hey, you and I disagree on this theological issue. Hey, you and I disagree on this political candidate. Hey, you and I disagree on all these various things. And they're important. I mean, they they matter. They're not insignificant. But you disagree. And it's not enough to break fellowship. It's not enough to say, you know what? I'm done with you. You don't get it. Like, you're on a different planet. You've lost the plot. No, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to learn from it. In fact, because we disagree on these issues, I need to spend more time with you. I need to make sure that you know that I think you belong here. I'm going to like be proactively pursuing, loving, caring for you, celebrating you, advocating for you because you and I disagree on these various issues. Let me just... Um, let me just close uh, with uh, with this. I um, I um, have a good friend of mine who uh, he's approaching retirement age, um, and he read right recently met with him um, for a, for a drink, and he, um, he's, he and his wife are talking about retirement and what they're going to do for the retirement, and uh, they went back and forth about different things they could do. They about traveling. You know, they thought talk about actually maybe moving to, like, Florida or, you know, to, uh, what was it, uh, outside of Phoenix to um, Scottsdale. Uh, these are different things that they could do in their retirement. And as they prayed about and talked about it more and more, they said, you know what, what we're going to do is we're going to stay here in St. Louis, and we're going to serve and love the people in our church. And he said to me, Bruce, he said, here's our logic. He said, we're going to have a new, we're, we're going to have all eternity in a new heavens and a new earth to do all the travel we want to do. And so to further that we've invested the last decades in the people in this church. They know us; we know them. And so what he's doing, and this is such a beautiful thing. I mean, his story is one of the beautiful stories. He has so much pain, so much sorrow. He's alienated from his three three children. And he was among one of the most bitter divorces. I walked through his divorce. It was this is this is fifteen. 15 plus years ago, and um, his wife succeeded in turning his three kids against him. And it's so bitter. I mean, he says, Bruce, not a day goes by that I don't want to sit, I, I just sit there and agonize wondering what could I have done differently as a husband and father to make things turn out differently for my relationship with my kids. But here they are, husband and wife, and he's remarried. And they're serving in their local church. And you know what he does? He does a lot of things. One of the things he does is he mentors teens. He mentors teens. And he just went to the youth pastor. He said, "You know, listen, I would love to just, I I don't know if this is a thing, I don't know if this is awkward or weird or whatever, but I would like to invest in some of the young men in our church. And he's doing it. He meets with them regularly, like weekly, I think they meet together. And, and, these kids, and these boys, these young men are eating it up. The parents couldn't be happier to have an adult figure in, their li- in the lives of their children, the lives of these young boys, loving them, caring for them, hanging out with them, giving them wisdom, real life wisdom. And the kids, or the boys are like, Why? I mean, who, who are you? What, why are you doing this for me? And the answer is the welcome that they've received. Let's pray together.